Uh, hey, everybody, thank you for joining us. And I'm not sure if you've been hearing the conversation, uh, but um, we're very delighted to have you all. And uh, the webinar is about global trends in hiring. So we'll be dis discussing different aspects right from talent acquisition to diversity to skilling, et cetera. So the different aspects that we would cover the first half of the conversation is about some of the questions that you've captured through our survey that we'll, uh, that we'll ask Evan. And then uh, the second half towards uh, the end, last 15 minutes is more for question and answers. So during the conversation, if you have any questions, please post that and uh, we, we'll be taking that up. And we'll be picking up common themes. Uh, so if in any way your question is unanswered, uh, we'll make sure to answer that offline more. Um, so very, um, very quickly about Evan's background. So he's very well known change management specialist. He's uh, over the last 15 years, he's worked across different uh, companies and currently he's uh, the director at Neuroflash, which is a, a leading AI uh, consulting firm. About myself, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Fire Quotient, a company that is helping the likes of Boston Consulting Group to automate their hiring, skilling, and helping the companies to find out the top 10% talent. Uh, so Evan, let's start the conversation and thank you so much for uh, taking out the time and for sharing this opportunity. Uh, so the big question that we have coming your way is uh, over the last 15 years and as a senior leader, when you look at the talent acquisition landscape today, what are your thoughts around it? What are some of the big shifts that you are seeing today? Yeah. So the this is this is something that's that's near and dear to my heart. As someone who is hiring and actively building teams, who's done a lot of research on this, and is, who's written two books on the subject. And so, um, you know, being in the consulting industry, I've seen a number of trends that have really, I think, shifted the environment. I would say right now, um, we're operating in an environment, and I may be coining this phrase of professional Darwinism. And so, what I mean by that is. You've got a number of companies that are competing for talent, um, and there is, you know, a relatively small talent pool, and they are trying to they're they're trying to distinguish themselves across that 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 talent pool. You also, on the flip side, have um, candidates who have more bar bargaining power, especially now. Um, they have greater information and access to information, and so they can do better research on the companies. And you may have some candidates who are you know, better able to prepare for interviews or, or craft their resumes in a way that best kind of positions them for the role. And sometimes for a company, this can lead to a false positive where you're, you're bringing in a candidate who may not, who, who you think is a, a stellar candidate, but they may not necessarily have the skills. And so, you know, this, this, this really this, what this gets down to is um, you know, companies have to find a better way of making sure that they are assessing for the right skills, right attitudes, and right capabilities for, for their company, because it can be a very time-intensive, resource-intensive, and costly, uh, costly effort. And you've made a very important point, because if you look at the overall trend, um, and something that you're seeing uh, from the outside as well, is that uh, the government, companies, everybody in the ecosystem is moving towards competency-based hiring. Very recently, the US uh, government as well has uh, pushed the mandate that, hey, different companies need to look beyond CVs, focus on competence, skills, because that is what matters. And on the other hand, we have a data that says that over 70 million Americans don't have uh, a four-year degree, but they're employable. So then circling that back to the point that you made that, look, there, there are candidates 
who would focus uh, on the series, make it flurry, and that could lead to the false positives. So help us understand that today, when you look at the relevance of series, what's your broad opinion about it? And especially in the context of when you have to go after under recruited pools, which, which could be a, a competitive advantage in your talent strategy. Great, and I saw in the chat, so uh, Smarth, uh, it looks like people are getting an echo. So you might want to try to fix that while I'm, while I'm responding to this. Um, and thank you, I think Jose uh, made, that, made that comment. Um, so, so getting back to, you know, what we're seeing about like competency-based uh, hiring and recruiting. So um, the Society of Human Resource Management has found that like the cost of a, of a you know, losing a hire, um, someone that you've hired and ultimately leaves can be like 50% to 250% of their annual salary and benefits. So that is a, an extremely high cost. If you're thinking about, you know, the, what it takes to find that candidate, train that candidate, replace that candidate, um, impact on on morale for 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 employees um, and and productivity when that when when that candidate leaves, and so there there are a number of things that I think um, you know we're, we're, what we've seen in, in terms of trends and competency based hiring. I think for consulting, and you see this in banking as well, um, they've started moving towards like a, a case interview model, and so like that's that's been an area of expertise for me is you know building case interviews, preparing people for case interviews, and so for the people who are not familiar with the case interview, you're basically given a problem that simulates something that you would experience um, on, on the job. And you are kind of, you have to ask questions, kind of walk through, you know, uh, walk through that challenge and ultimately come to like a recommendation or answer. And so the intent behind that is to again, simulate like what you would be doing on the job. And I feel like that is a kind of early example um, of like this competency-based hiring. Uh, oftentimes, and me being on the, uh, the on the other side of the recruiting table, there's a rubric, and you're kind of you know looking for specific skill sets, and you're looking at okay, did they do this well? Did they not do this well? How can they improve? And one thing that with like that a lot of companies experience when they do that kind of model is it is extremely labor intensive, um, and you're you know you're doing 45 minutes of an interview, you're prepping for the interview, you're you're giving feedback on the interview. It can be subjective sometimes. Um, and so you're not necessarily, you may not necessarily be getting the, the right candidates through the door. And I think another challenge that a lot of companies are facing is, is that scalability. Um, you know, things that we've seen is that you, you almost, you end up having like core recruiting schools. And a lot of companies do this where they have, they, they built relationships with a particular school or a particular pipeline, and that becomes their go-to pipeline. And they end up missing out on a whole host of you know stellar candidates. Smart, you mentioned like you know employable candidates who who may not show up on their radar, but who could be stellar hires. And either they don't have access to the opportunity, or the company isn't even granting them access or looking for them. And so, um, you know, you're ending up with a very timely um, process. You're ending up with a very costly process, and you could be missing out on some great candidates as well. And, and you've made a very important point about scalability because essentially, if you're looking to go wide, uh, the model has to be scalable enough that it can be standardized and can be objective in nature. So, uh, and, and when you wear your hiring manager hat and you look at uh, the outcome of uh, the hiring, what does that look like? And how are you thinking of technology or how are you using technology in that? Yeah, so it's so, a so great question. I mean, so... If I'm looking at outcomes, like I'm looking at someone who, one, like it has the right attitude and skill sets for the role, and that that can be extremely 
subjective and, and very difficult to ultimately assess. And, and you may have one person, especially if you do multiple rounds of interviews, you may have one person who grades a candidate one way and another person who grades a candidate an entirely different way. Um, and that can be for a variety of reasons. Maybe what, what, what maybe the interviewer or the candidate had a bad day. Um, maybe there's some unconscious bias. There can be a whole host of reasons why. And that can just open yourself up to like a number of challenges in the, in the hiring process. Um, you know, on the flip side as well, um, like putting my hiring manager hat on, like what success looks like for me is like bringing in a, a great candidate, a candidate that's going to stay with the company for, for quite some time because they are the right fit and they are, um, you know, the right skills. I think the mark of success is not only are they staying with the company, but they're growing with the company. So they're, they're, they're adding, um, you know, they're adding things to the company, they're adding things to the practice and team. We're, we're, we're seeing them uh, move up and, and, and be promoted. Um, and, and, and so for me, like, you know, having a, a, a team of people who are being promoted and have these opportunities to engage is, is the mark of like a, of a good hiring team. Um, that being said, um, it's, you know, it's very challenging to make sure that you get it right. And, um, you know, one thing that we're starting to see with technology is it can, it can reduce bias, especially with um, assessments. And so um, we've actually used some assessments, actually you know, partnered, partnered with USMARTH on this to kind of evaluate people from a change management standpoint and the skills that they have and seeing you know, where their gaps are. And so that can be a really important part as well is like you may have a candidate who um, doesn't hit all the qualifications for the role, but hits a lot of qualifications for the role. And if you're able to do an assessment upfront, you're able to identify, okay, like they are really strong here and here and here. They're okay here. And these might be some weak spots. Ultimately, they have a great attitude and a growth mindset. And we think you know, going in, like we can help them build these, 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 these weak spots. And we can, you know, right off the bat, like come up with a game plan to one, validate that these are their weak spots. And then two, to start building those so that they can, they can be even more successful in the role and, and be onboarded and, and contributing even faster. So I think that's the value that like a talent assessment can bring is helping you not only make sure that you're bringing in the right candidate, but also making sure that you're upskilling them faster as well. It's actually amazing to always hear um, these thoughts from hiring managers and specifically the ones who are really going above and beyond to make sure that there is a very holistic evaluation to make sure that there's no bias or there's minimum bias uh, and you're able to find great candidates. And that's exactly what you said as well. The way I struggle, and I see a lot of companies struggle as well, is um, we, we talk about bias and let's accept each of us has a blind spot. Uh, the other aspect we say is, look, we, we're looking for great candidates, but how do you define a great candidate? There has to be some objectivity around it. There has to be a standardization because if, for example, 10 people are interviewing 1,000 candidates, is the definition of great consistent to make that decision or not. So how, in your opinion, some of the hiring managers can uh, can take care of that where they reduce the bias and they can also pretty much uh, bring a consistency in the definition of being good, great, and awesome. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, I think we're seeing this in a number of ways. And I always go back to the case interview because oftentimes, you know, that that's kind of been the, I wouldn't say like, you know, technological way of doing it. It's, it's, it tends to be like a one-on-one -on -one interview with someone. Um, 
but typically like there's a rubric and so you have like here's what a good great candidate looks like here's what a good great response looks like one of the challenges that i've seen in the in this in the industry is like when you use an assessment like that one you have to train people to use the assessment to make sure that they're using it appropriately two it can vary over time uh, in terms of like what you know where that person is on the, on the spectrum in terms of comfort using that assessment and then three again there there is there is subjectivity you don't know if that candidate is had a, had a bad day you don't know if the interviewer had a bad day and so that can factor in as well i think it's really important when you're building an assessment one of the great things about you know using techno technological assessments is that you can hopefully remove and normalize uh, or re remove rather some of that um, some of that subjectivity and you know you, you have common questions you can come up with what is a right and wrong answer and um, and one thing I think that's really important with building these assessments as well is just making sure that you're not perpetuating and reinforcing the bias but you're building questions in a way that are going to um, open it up for a number of candidates and uh, enable them to be based on their skills and, and, and on their attitudes. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I quite often discuss with uh, some of our clients is that, look, AI has a lot of potential, both sides, positive and negative. As companies, as, uh, as leaders, we have to be mindful that how do we embrace AI, but mitigate the challenges that come with it. So from that perspective, that if you're using AI to enhance the candidate experience, which is very, very important to big organizations that care about the candidate, then that's a good use case. If you're using AI to auto-generate the questions, if you're using AI to evaluate on your behalf, then it could per perhaps have some risk that you might need to mitigate uh, in the right way possible. So from that aspect, and uh, there's a lot of uh, discussion around how to use AI in hiring. So what's your perspective? On yeah, that? so I, I, so first and foremost, I think, you know, if you're crafting any question or any assessment, you have to consider like ethical AI. So you have to make sure that you are crafting it in a way that is, again, not perpetuating and reinforcing the bias. And you're working with a company that knows how to do that and has like audited their practices and has set practices and policies in a way that they are um, they have built assessment questions in a way that are not going to reinforce or, or perpetuate bias. I think another big part of, you know, another important piece of any like assessment, um, any, any technological assessment is again, like that it, it, the, the questions are the questions um, and the answers are the answers. And there's, there, there's not necessarily room for interpretation from a person, you know, based off of unconscious bias or how their day's going. Um, you can get a very clear ranking of how a candidate fits on, 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 your, on your spectrum. And that can ultimately help you better assess and evaluate you know, which candidates you wanna bring forward. I think what works best um, is when you kind of do this in conjunction. And so you may have a first round where there's a screen or some sort of um, technological assessment where you're evaluating and ass assessing the candidates for the, the, the skills and the attitudes for the job. And then you maybe cool the pool down a little bit based off of those scores, and then you bring a candidate in for a, a second round or a next round with, with 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 a human who can evaluate and kind of assess more more of that cultural fit and and is this a person that I'm comfortable working with? And I think the, having that balance. Oh, sorry, Smart. Go ahead. It sounds like you're you're going to say something to that. So I'll let you. Jump in. 
no, no I, I think I shared the same sentiment with you and I was trying to uh, resonate with that thought. But I, I think there's a there's another aspect to it. So when you talked about uh, doing top of the funnel with uh, with a product that could pretty much help you define that what a skilled candidate looks like or who is a skilled candidate who can do the job. But there's another aspect to it. Even if it's it's a small funnel and you do the uh, in-person interviews, a product could pretty much help you uh, deepen the confidence by saying that, hey, if this is what you think of the candidate on ABCD skill set, this is what our read is. So it's actually both way where it could be product and then human or it could be human and then product. So it has to work together, as you said, but it could be either ways in, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point is, yeah, you might you might do it as a screen or you might do it as as, as a validate validation as well. But um, overall, like I think it's a great tool and it can save a ton of time too if you if you think about you know typical interviewer is interviewing x number of candidates and i've been a part of these like super days where like you you know for an entire day like you were interviewing candidates and so you know that's eight hours that could have been billed or eight hours that could have been devoted to, to building the company and you, you maybe get through you know seven or eight candidates during during that full day whereas if you do an assessment you could get through hundred candidates um, and that you just give them a timeline of when they can when they have to complete that assessment and then based off of that you can evaluate and look at the scores and again validate um, depending on where they are in the funnel validate or determine here are the people we're going to bring forward for for uh, an interview so it can be you know a huge time saver uh, huge cost saver and and frankly open up your your pool of candidates because oftentimes you're you're limited um, you're limited by time you're limited by your people who you are, are, are devoting to interviews. And so um, you can end up missing out on some candidates who may not have the right things on paper or the right school or or, or, or right skills lifted, listed, but they ultimately could be great candidates if you had just given them a shot. Yeah, and it actually also helps you reduce your uh, recruiting cycle because if you can move faster, as you said that, in, so if you can pretty much screen everybody on the same day or within two days, then that's saving a lot of time, but also cutting down your cycle by more than half, perhaps. And you've seen that working out with the clients because that could be a competitive advantage in winning this talent war. If your competitor has a recruitment cycle of 60 days, you're doing that in 20 days. Obviously, you're going to uh, close a quality candidate much faster. So that's another uh, thing that we've seen adding value to the clients just because of the same value that we discussed. And you also talked about diversity. So if I if I ask what diversity at workplace means to you and how you've seen this definition evolve over time, and we all know what's happening around. So from that perspective, what it really uh, is. Yeah, so I mean, so the most competitive companies, and we're seeing a lot of data and research point, pointing this, the most competitive com companies are increasingly more diverse and they are building practices that ensure that they reduce bias, hire more diversity, and are actively recruiting and promoting diversity within, within their companies. Um, diversity to me means you, you have a, a group of people from, from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, identifying a number of different ways and are bringing a number of different perspectives to your, to your company. And ultimately, this helps open your company and make it stronger. I, I read like a couple statistics kind of in preparation of, for this and also just just because I, it's, it's it's a passion area of mine and one that I want I think it's an important to institute and in, in my team as well. Um, 
so you, you've got like right now, like one in three women of color in the um, one in three, so 33% within the next year. And, you know, that is a startling statistic for me. And it makes me ask questions of why. Are they not seeing people who, who look like them in leadership? Are they not seeing um, career opportunities? Are they not um, seeing, uh, you know, are they not seeing um, opportunities for advancement or op opportunities for support? And so for, for, for me, like, I think it's really important to make sure that you are moving away from a culture of hiring people who look and think like you. And you have to make sure that your interview team is, is representative, your marketing team, your recruiting team is representative. And if, um, you know, one way around that too is uh, to reduce that bias is, is, is technology as well, is making sure that that bias is being reduced by a impartial system that um, is asking the same questions of every candidate in a way and, and not, you know, not passing judgment or not um, you know, having implicit be a part of their process. Yeah, yeah. And, and a big bias, I think, is also with the CVs because irrespective of how we look at it, we're trying, the, the big companies today are trying to make sense of skills from the CVs. And these are two very different languages. Uh, so if you are really looking forward to reducing the bias in the hiring, then we have to think beyond CV. We have to really think that, look, how, what can be one metric that conveys the most important data point? And as hiring managers, the most important data point we're all looking for is can they do the job or not? So from that perspective, and this, so that's pretty much, I think, one big source of bias, because irrespective of how we evaluate, how we mask that information, there is a bias. And I'll, I'll like speak to that just from, from my personal experience as well. So, you know, prior to joining consulting, I taught sixth and seventh grade English and history um, in, in New York City and was trying to break into consulting. And I was getting the, the door slammed a lot in my face of, you know, there wasn't that direct connection between teaching and consulting skills. And for the, the companies that ultimately you know brought me in for an interview and hired me, it took a lot of these conversations and finding an advocate and networking and having to really tell the story of, hey, I present like I present and fill, facilitate six or seven hours a day. And so being able to present and facilitate and have to maintain the attention of you know 30, 13 year olds, 12 year olds um, requires a lot of skill um, and it requires me like having to be like really flexible. I have 120 students that I have to look at data and, and build like a plan so that they are, they're hitting their goals and achieving their goals. That's project management. So it took that um, really drawing out those stories to get me to even get through the door. And that's not always captured on your CV or um, in many cases, um, companies will look at, okay, they're, you know, they're, they're this role um, and they just write you off because they don't think you have the, the, the skills to be like a successful consultant, banker, whatever, rather than focusing on those transferable skills or giving you an assessment that allows you to showcase those transferable skills and show that you, 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 have, you, you can do the job well. And that's, that's a perfect uh, success story because if that, that's pretty much what you faced and fast forward today, you've written uh, international bestsellers on consulting teaching the students in top MBA schools on how to crack the big consulting firms, uh, leading a change management consultant practice. 
uh, within a growing organization and having a very successful consulting career. So that simply means that let's, let's look for the right thing and not uh, just what's written on the paper, on the CV. So the, uh, that's great. And I see Nancy has a question. Uh, I'm mindful of the time. So if anybody has questions, please keep sharing. Uh, towards the last 20 minutes, we'll take up as many questions as we can. Uh, so please keep sharing the common themes, questions, upward questions, and we'll take that all together. Um, so the other aspect that I wanted to touch upon, and we have briefly touched upon in different, different questions, it's to say, uh, we've discussed the recruitment space, but overall, when you think of any team member, any employee, there has to be one common metric that helps them get evaluated, not just when they enter the company, but also as they're growing within the organization. And we've talked about the mentorship models, uh, learning and development, et cetera, as well. So, and there's emerging discussion around skill as a currency, which is that you pick candidates based on the skills that they have. Once they get into the organization, you have a clear understanding on what are their gaps, what are their strengths, you build a mentorship model, you build a learning and development model where you invest in them to cover up the gaps and then perhaps you help them grow in the organization or maybe uh, get to some other vertical internal mobility, which is another very interesting area. So how are you looking at skill as a currency, not just in your organization, but as a trusted advisor when you advise your clients across different companies? Yeah, so great, great question. So a little data on this. So it's percent of CEOs um, have shared that they see or they fear that their industry is on the verge of being disrupted and that 54% of their employees are going to require upskilling in the near future. And so I think it's really important to have a model that allows you to assess candidates at the get-go so that you are one, identifying the right candidate so that you can reduce time and upskilling but two, also being able to evaluate, here's where we should focus our time and attention on upskilling that candidate. And again, this kind of goes back to, you know, assessments at the, at the very outset um, and kind of building this into your, your broader plan and strategy for your team of, you know, being able to identify not every candidate's gonna hit all the marks on, all, all the marks on, on your job uh, description. They might hit some and they might hit some better than others. But being able to evaluate that candidate in the sense of, okay, this is a strong candidate. They have a, a growth mindset. They have the right attitude for our company. They seem to be a good cultural fit, um, but they have some growth areas. And so right off the bat, and you know, part of what I do with my team is on a weekly basis, like we are having conversations around, uh, you know, where, you know, what, what did we learn last week? What, what are we doing this week? How can, you know, how can I help you grow? How, how can I help you learn for, for the upcoming week? And I think that that's something that can be built into a company's model of being able to identify, you know, where those skills gaps are, and then being able to work that into a plan so that you're creating growth and you're retaining your team and, 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 and continuing to grow that talent pool that you have. Sorry, sorry, I, I didn't realize I was on mute, uh, but that's a great point. And uh, I, I think the most interesting conversations in hindsight I've had are with people who have led change management because not just in one vertical, but they really go deep in understanding that when you're implementing, and we've talked a lot about technology, when you're actually bringing a disruption, when you're reacting to a change, it's more about people and less about the technology. Technology is just a layer. 
you you have to pretty much uh, mobilize the organization and make the people understand the use case we've talked about the different uh, disruptions that you see forecoming in uh, in the uh, talent acquisition space in skill as a currency what do you think is the biggest risk for the companies that don't adapt yeah so again like i i think you know i mentioned like you know professional darwinism like adapt or become extinct and so people for a lot of companies are their competitive advantage and if you start seeing that talent pool erode or if you are not hiring in a way that or, or attracting and selecting talent in a way that is helping you grow your talent base you can see your advantage erode and you can see other companies overtake you and so i think companies need to continuously look at what their pipeline is are they reaching the right candidates and if not how can they how can they scale or how can they leverage technology to reach more candidates um are they bringing in candidates who are diverse and are representative of their of not just their workforce but of the world and are they actively recruiting candidates who can bring different perspectives um to their to their teams and then also like really thinking through like um I, mean, I look at this as the new competitive new, new competitive advantage for a company is yeah. are we are we are we hiring for the for the right skills and not just the skills that we need now but how future. can we anticipate the future exactly um because there there is going to be continuously upskilling and a continuous need to bring in candidates now who may need to do jobs if we want to retain them five years from now may require different skills to, to perform the same job so I, that almost becomes part of your assessment process as well as you know what are people's what are people's ability to adapt ability to learn ability to change um and is this something that they're they're comfortable doing especially in a lot of like the professional services yeah 100 and some of the best organizations that you've seen uh, working closely with them are the organizations who have really gone beyond to think that what the skills would be needed two years three years five years from now let's start training our interviewers uh, let's start bringing technology who can test the right candidate for those skill sets because every company every interviewer has a uh, limited skill set that they can test for so how can you expand your internal uh, skill library so to say so that you can pretty much find the hidden gem which is an asset for the future but does not fit what you're looking at the moment from uh, and this is some of our learning that we keep sharing with our other clients as well to say that look this is one that can really help you set a strong uh, advantage for the future in terms of the talent and people's agenda yeah i think that's a good point i think so I, i'm seeing a number of companies where they're just recycling job descriptions and not just for their company but um you know you may be recruiting for change management or consulting or some other position and you go online google like consulting like you know position description and then you pull that so you're seeing a lot of companies that are just kind of recycling job descriptions without necessarily doing that assessment of are these still the most applicable skills and you know what are what are those skills that are going to be applicable now and in the future and then getting to that attitudes piece as well like i'm a huge proponent of you know not just hiring for skills but hiring for attitude as well and so making sure that you are bringing in candidates as well who they're 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 comfortable adapting because things are continuously changing and evolving and moving at a faster rate and you know you, you 
some of the most common roles that we have now, like change management, like no one knew what change management was like 10 years ago, or very few people did. Um, customer experience, user design, like some of these are some of the most popular and highest, you know, fastest growing roles. And they weren't really well known like five or 10 years ago, and they required different skill sets. And so being at the forefront of, you know, what are those skills coming? And are we building these into our position descriptions and our models for what we need for from a hiring standpoint as well. Yeah, and one thing that I totally relate with, so when you start a higher position and you're looking for a first sales uh, business development, sales uh, uh, development rep, uh, I had no background in sales. I had no background to understand what to evaluate. What I did was reach out to a couple of folks who expert in the domain, understand that, hey, what are the boxes that I need to take when I check for the skills, competence, request them that, hey, could you do that on my behalf? So, and also uh, because I had to create a job description and I did not know how to create one. So uh, I, I went to one of the organizations that I really admire, Gong. They've really built a very good sales practice. What I did, went to the website, saw the job description uh, that they are using to hire the SDRs and created something taking inspiration from that. And that was also an inspiration to say that, look, if this is the struggle that I am having, there are a lot of people like me who are starting up uh, new and they need a tool that perhaps could help them build the right job descriptions. Because if the job description is built in the right way, is uh, it, it can attract the right audience as well. And that's where we launched our, another uh, job description generator, which is a free tool. We launched that to help uh, a lot of people, uh, managers, hiring managers, uh, just to say that, look, if you're new, if you, are, if you don't have time and you're looking for something which is very standardized, consistent, and helps you attract the right talent, just use higher quotient job description. And I think, so, I, think, uh, I, think and I think I'm just gonna jump into there. Like, I think that's such a valuable tool, but I also think it's, um, a big part of that is right now are we how are we assessing uh how are we ensuring that we you know we we've decided that these are the the most important skills needed for this role how do we make sure that the candidate is able to um you know meet these skills and you know again whether that's certain questions around a certain questions and a skills assessment or whether that's an interview or a combination of the two I think sometimes um, you know that 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 aspect gets lost where things don't necessarily link or translate from the job description to all right now does the candidate have the skills to actually perform the what what we what we ask for in the job description exactly and that's where uh, we um, so we linked up the entire process to say that look while you create a job description that says that hey these are the task and responsibility that we're looking uh, in a candidate. The second module or the second product is to say that, tell us what task are you looking for in the candidate and we would test that on your behalf. So it's speaking the same language. So essentially what you tell the candidate that we need in you, you're testing for exactly the same thing. And that makes the candidate believe that, look, this organization and that is really focused on understanding about my skill set and the competence and is very transparent in terms of laying out what they require. Uh, so that's, and uh, we've seen organizations benefit from it from multiple different aspects. Uh, and uh, so last 15 minutes, and we have uh, quite a few questions. Uh, Nancy, taking up your question first. So uh, Evan, Nancy's question is, with the expected recession in the coming months, how mm -hmm. do you see the hiring landscape changing? 
Yeah, so great question. And that's that's one that we are we are talking a, a lot about because we kind of had a boom and we had, you know, the, the bargaining power had shifted to uh candidates and we may we may see that we may see that change. Um and so you know you may see companies start to either tighten up on their on their hiring or just you may just see you may you may see companies again like they really need to focus on when they do bring in a candidate that they, that candidate it becomes even more important that that candidate has the right skills um, because it's going to be a a, a a bit of a restricted environment. So I think you know kind of getting to your question like you may start to see some companies and I think I'm already starting to see it where some companies are starting to to tighten their hiring or reduce hiring. I've actually had some conversations with with a number of people who um, have said like you know hey we're was interviewing and then um, company like you know mid interview. Um, or mid like you know mid part of the process actually paused and is kind of like you know assessing whether or not like they they need to hire right now and so i think you've got a number of companies being a bit more cautious and so that may shift uh the bargaining power back to the companies a little bit um i think the good news is that a lot of people uh left recently and, and started new jobs and and the hope is that you know that they that they're at companies that are going to be you know relatively insulated uh during you know, during the, the upcoming recession yeah, and it's also a time when the companies have the luxury to pretty much redefine the entire hiring process to say that how can we bring more efficiency, how can we uh, make it more uh, neutral and take away the bias that we talked about. And uh, Richard has a similar question to say that, hey, we're redesigning a hiring process. How should we go about building a future-proof process? Yeah, great question. So, I mean, I, I think without without knowing your company and without knowing your business, um, it's it, it's it's hard to say specifically. I, I think there are a couple. Of, I think there are a couple of things that I would highlight for you, though. One is that like, it is extremely labor intensive to have people doing a lot of the hiring, and there's there's a lot of bias that comes in that. So, I think there's there there there, there should absolutely be like a linkage between technology and your people. Um, that are conducting the interviews. And so kind of going back to what Smart and I discussed earlier, um, you may start at the top of the funnel with some sort of assessment. And then, you know, as you get down with, with evaluate those candidates, you get down to, um, you know, screen with actual people, or you might do the, the, the flip side of, you know, start with, start at the top with an interview and then, and then screen to, to, to validate. Um, I think, you know, a, a big part of, you know, what, where I would probably start is, just really understanding your market and understanding, you know, what the skills are for the current role and what the skills should be three to five years down the road. And that can be hard, but really doing some intentional research um, and making sure that you're building the job description based off of not just what the candidate needs to do now, but what the candidate needs to do three to five years from now. Um, and then doing that mix of technology, whether it's the technology assessment up front um, or some sort of assessment up front to ensure that they have the skills and then some sort of cultural fit um, interview later to assure that they, they're a good fit for your company. And I, and I actually want to take that a step further and kind of go back past the hiring process as well. I think if you really want to retain those those candidates, then creating a plan for once you hire them of here's kind of like your growth plan for the first quarter, the first, the first year, the first two years, 
Um, we are, you know, we are dealing with a millennials and Gen Z who are now the majority of, um, you know, the, the job market right now and are, are not afraid to hop jobs. Um, and the number one reason why they hop jobs is an opportunity for learning and an opportunity for growth. And so if you're not building that into your, your model of retention um, and giving them a roadmap and a plan for here's how we're going to help you grow and develop, then you run the risk of them uh, jumping to another company um, for that growth opportunity that, they, that they're not getting or don't perceive that they're getting at your company. And, and I have a question on this one. Um, so you talked about people leaving and attrition is all time high. That, that makes me question that and your team specifically, what are some of the things that you have done within your team to make sure that you, you keep the company invested in their group, be it professional or personal? So if you could help us maybe understand a few strategies that you adopted. Yeah, sure. So a great question. And again, this is something continuously improving on and always want to do better um, and always seeking feedback from, from my team as well. And so I think first and foremost, like creating like psychological safety and a culture of trust and transparency, where I think the team feels, members of my team feel pretty comfortable, like asking me for, asking me or providing feedback on, yeah, here's what I need to grow and, and develop. I think, you know, part of it, you know, being in a consulting um, professional services uh, industry, one of it is like when you're assigning projects, making sure that you're assigning like a, a portfolio that includes like high growth projects or, you know, complex projects as well as projects that are learning. And also creating these links uh, to the company where they have some kind of internal projects or pet projects, things that they're passionate about and enabling them to get involved in those areas. So for instance, you know, having conversations and saying, Hey, what, you know, what are you interested in? Are you in, are you in sales? interested in sales? Are you interested in marketing? Um, are you interested in, you know, learning and professional development and then helping craft projects internally for them where they are getting involved in those projects. They are leading those projects. They are building their skill set and they're getting exposed to other people in the company and even forming like longer term relationships. Those are some things that I've done that I've seen help, um, but, you know, obviously can always do better. Sorry, I was on mute again. And we have another interesting question from Richard. He's saying that, look, I'm convinced tech is the future of hiring. It is going to define how, how we look at hiring and do it at scale. How do I convince my team uh, to adopt tech? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, it's, it's interesting because I get, you know, I, 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 being on the consulting side, like I sometimes have to do this both internally or for, for customers as well is, you know, how do I build the business case? And, you know, part of it is identifying who are going to be those, those champions and advocates in your company for this and trying to get that groundswell and recognizing that for some people, it's going to be a story for others. It might be a benchmark um, or, and like, Hey, like, you know, here's a company, here's a competitor, here's a company that we aspire to be. And they're already starting to do it. Like, let's, let, let's, let's, let's get on track. And for others, it's going to be the data. Um, I find the data typically tends to be the most effective. And especially when you're you know, looking at the purse strings and, and costs of, of, of hiring. And so there's some good data out there. Uh, I mentioned the you know, Society of Human Resource Management cost of you know, someone leaving the company is 50% to 250% of their annual salary and benefits. That is huge. And if you are looking at 
you know, if you're looking at the, the number of people who are leaving your company and the attrition and, and, you know, coming up with a baseline number, um, and, you know, these are some of these, 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 if we had just kept a percentage of these, like the cost savings, you know, that, 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 that's one way to look at it. I think another way to look at it too, again, like hitting, hitting your company with the pocketbook is, um, you know, what's, what's the typical interview take? Um, is it 30 minutes? Is it an hour? I would say like, it's probably between prep time, delivering the interview and like, you know, doing, um, after action, writing notes, it's, it's probably at least an hour. And if you can put like a, a time to that, maybe $50 an hour, whatever, and then estimate um, that across, you know, the number of candidates you think your, your company is interviewing. And then just say, imagine if we replace this with, with a techno, technolo, technological assessment that can allow us to scale and bring in more candidates um, uh, and, and uh, free up our team to do more of that higher value that closing, closing the candidate and bringing them in or, or, or focusing on their growth. Imagine what that can do for our company. Like, I think those are some of those, 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 those talking points that, that, that can help out for sure. And, and we have a very tough question coming our way. Uh, so the question is that uh, as a hiring manager, if you were to define one North Star, metric for your HRs, what would that be? North star metric for our HR. Hmm. So for me, like for me as a hiring manager, it's, it's retention. Um, and I want to make sure I'm retaining talented candidates. I'm growing talented candidates and that we, and, and, and typically, you know, where retention tells me there's, there's a number of metrics that are, that are built into retention. It's we hire the right person um, because they're, they're they're staying and they, they they enjoy the role. They have the right attitude. They have the right skill set. It's we want to keep this person, so we're going to help this person grow and their their and the, the role and with the company. Um, and so for me, that 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 kind of shows that we we hired appropriately and we're bringing people on board and making that investment, and they're making that. We're, we're making that mutual investment. They're investing in us and we're investing in them. Um, I think, you know, kind of looking at it from the recruiting standpoint, I think another, another I think, major metric I would look at is the number of candidates. Um, what's, what's like that funnel look like? So what are the number of candidates coming in and what are the number of candidates that we're actually giving an offer to? Um, because I think that can be telling in terms of how, how, good, is our, how good is our pool? Um, are we bringing in a lot of people and we're kind of shooting haphazardly and we're bringing in a lot of people um, and we're wasting a lot of time, frankly, like interviewing candidates who are not good fits, either they self-select out or we, 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 we opt out. Um, and so being able to look at that, 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 that pool that's coming in and ultimately deciding here are the number of candidates that we want to advance the final round or that we want to advance uh, to, to the offer stage. And the next question is actually a follow-up to this one, uh, which says that, hey, if you were to improve the conversion, because a lot of candidates drop out of the process. So if the HR or the people managers have to improve the conversion, what are some of the things that they could do? Yeah, so I mean, so a couple, I mean, a couple strategies. I mean, one, one up, up front is just making sure that you have the right, the right candidates. And so again, that may be like an assessment and If, um, I kind of get thinking of conversion as like getting them excited about the role and getting them to actually accept the offer. 
I like to add that human element. So you might have that technological element of, you know, let's, let's screen out candidates who don't fit, but those that do now we can focus more time and attention on those candidates that we you know, think could be a good fit and that we wanna bring aboard. And so I think that that's where the value of uh, recruiting comes into play, where if you free up their time, they can spend more time on those frequent touch points, checking in, how are you doing? Did you receive your offer? Do you have any questions? Um, that can open up some of your interviewers to, hey, I wanna check in and have a call and conversation to see how things are going. We're really excited to having you aboard, sending, you know, taking some time to send like a quick email. So their activities can shift. They may still be doing recruiting based activities, but their activities can shift from not so much the recruiting, assessing and evaluating, but more so let's show this person, let's help this person feel, let's show this person they're wanted, let's show them that they're a good fit. Let's highlight some specific, let's learn a little bit more about what's important to them. Let's highlight specific aspects so that we can, we can really focus on the, the, the conversion activities rather than the, the, the top of the funnel activities. You've made a very good point. I guess, I guess I, sorry, one, one of the things is just getting that. Because you know, if they're saying no, they're going to they're going to a competitor, they're going somewhere else. And so that's where this kind of professional Darwinism comes into play of if you are able to focus your time on a candidate that you want and you want to convert them, um your that that can become your competitive advantage for a company, for your company. And again, if you're not converting them, they're they're going somewhere else and they they, they very well very well maybe going to your your competitor. Yeah, and there's another question that I often get asked because of the business that we are in, is that what role do you see technology play in the entire hiring process? And is it at some point going to replace the human or uh, what, what part of the job do you see technology taking up from them? And the more and more I interact with uh, the business leaders and the hiring managers, uh, people leaders, I feel that, look, the technology has to fundamentally create a capability within the organization to help them identify top skilled talent, right talent early on in the funnel. People managers' job is to make, them, make those candidates feel warm, help them understand what the brand stands for, help them understand the culture, help them understand the value, keep them engaged. That is where the time of human and the people manager is best utilized because these are the people you really really want to convert so i think that's the perfect blend to say that how technology and human can come together to really get you a high conversion to get you the candidates that you deserve that your team deserves i think that's a great point and uh i know we're running low on time here so i just i want to thank uh higher quotient and the higher quotient team for having this conversation it is a very important one and i know that they're innovating and, and being at the forefront of helping companies hire better. And I want to thank you all for, for joining and uh, uh, asking such, such great questions. Uh, so thank you all so much. And thank you all for joining us. And thank you so much, Evan, for joining and uh, really appreciate for all the great insights that you've shared and for, for uh, taking out the time uh, to speaking with us. Uh, we'll be sharing the learnings of this session with every attendee. And if you feel to share it within your organization, please, please feel free. Great. Thank you. And again, don't hesitate Thanks to so reach out on LinkedIn too if you have questions. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Right, have bye. a good day.